0: If I can't control it, there's nothing to really get too worked up about. We tried to convey that to our players, right? Here was a situation that was um, dealt to us, and then how are we going to respond to it? And I think, again, a lot of credit goes to them. They did a great job of resetting their focus and getting out of playing and getting ready to come play a game.
1: Festivus is this
0: Wednesday. Call us live on the show or air your grievances whenever you want by calling 702-473-0050 and leaving a voicemail.
1: Jingle bell, jingle bell, jingle bell
0: rock. Time to check in with one of our football insiders. We'll do it a day early, but Caleb Herring, nice enough to join us while he's on the uh, the family trip for the holidays. I'm sure you got a chance yesterday to watch the Raiders game. Give me some general thoughts on um, the Raiders blowing the lead but showing the moxie at the end to come up with a defensive stop and Carr getting him in position for the game-winning field goal.
2: I tell you what it, it was interesting first of all interesting to have two Monday night games that was weird obviously the schedule changes it was kind of cool and I'm excited for the rest of the week with all these changes but no it was fun to get to watch that Raiders game fun to see the Raiders come out on top um, they've had a, a, a weird way of doing that in these close ball games all season long really but pulling out games that are tight like that. It's, it's been a pleasure to see, but uh, it should have been in that situation. And I know looking at the the game with the amount of players that the Browns had out, including, you know, starting quarterback and the backup quarterback and I think it was 22 players total that the, the Browns are missing in that game. You, you would have thought that, you know, even without Waller, that the, the, the offense with the pieces that they had still and and the defense and the overall health, I guess, considering of uh, the Raiders that it would have been more of a, an easy ball game. but that's not been the case with the Raiders all season long. Uh, there's some some things that really tripped me out about the game. Obviously, uh, Carr had a solid performance, decent performance up until an I, what I would call an inexplic- inexplicable play call. First of all, to to go for a home run shot on a first down, on that drive with I think it was over three minutes, maybe four minutes left in the game, and end up throwing an interception. And like you said, the defense coming through and 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 helping Carr redeem himself because that's what he did on the the what turned out to be the game winning drive. So. Um, it, it was an, an up-and-down game, a fun game to watch on a Monday afternoon, um, and glad the Raiders were able to pull it out, keep their playoff hopes alive, although I, I don't really see how far this team in the AFC could go with the way that other teams in the AFC are, are playing right now with the right. Chargers and the Chiefs. and um, it, You go even to the, you, to the Bills and how they're playing. I don't know how deep a playoff run they can make, but glad to keep the playoff hope alive and, and keep the fans interested in watching Raider football.
0: Well, the crazy thing with the, the playoff run here, obviously if you win – uh, you have a chance to be in. And the other thing is if you get lucky and avoid a COVID outbreak because the Chargers may be in the midst of another one. The Chiefs uh, put Kelsey uh, on the COVID list yesterday. So, I mean, it's a war of attrition not only with injuries but with COVID. So, on the on the car deep shot, um, Zay Jones seemed to apologize for something he did wrong. We never got a, a clear picture of what the route was. Could you see what was going on there was – was there a mistake on one side or the other by Carr or Zay Jones, or was it just a great play by Greedy Daniels? Greedy Greedy Williams, not Greedy Daniels, the former UNLV basketball player. Greedy Williams.
2: In <laughs> <laughs> Basketball mode still, Steve. I see. I can tell. Uh, yep. I like it. No, I, I, don't, I don't necessarily think it was It was one more than the other. I think uh, you could say that Jones made a mistake in his route, uh, maybe not pushing it vertical enough and threatening that safety before breaking across the field. Um, and maybe that's what he's talking about. And, and maybe he even – in a sense, gave up on the route because he realized how high that safety was. There's no chance he's getting behind him. Uh, safety just had a beat on the route. I just, And like I said, I don't even agree with the play call to begin with. So I don't, like. I can't find any blame for Jones in there. I, I think Carr maybe shouldn't have thrown the ball at all. <laughs> maybe Jones gets up there and competes and makes it a, you know, gets that offensive pass in their fence But the way that that play developed, I don't think it, just, it was so unnecessary. I think there, that drive should sort have of looked more like the game-winning drive where they're dinking and dunking underneath and, and kind of keeping the drive. alive, well, I think at that point, they could have even been running the ball with, with two timeouts and four minutes left. I, I've always said I'd rather end the game with my offense on the field, whether it's trying to come back from behind or trying to ice the game and, and run the clock out. I'd rather have my offense on the field. So them taking that home run shot, one, calling the play for it because that play was drawn up specifically to take that shot. And two, Carr, being the veteran that he is, actually going ahead and throwing it when it just wasn't there from the beginning, seemed like uh, the wrong situation to go with it or the wrong decision to go with in that situation so um I, I i appreciate a receiver trying to step up and and kind of stand up for his quarterback in a sense and, and taking some of the blame off of the quarterback for throwing the interception i'm um, so I, I i'll always appreciate that but i don't know that that was top to bottom of just the wrong play to call in that situation
0: the quarterback on every team and you play the position you're a leader now, I wonder what happens when you go over and talk to the defense. It was interesting. Carr throws the interception. Uh, you know, there's like a 2.45, three minutes left in the game. Carr went over to the defense, and, and he said, um, I promise we'll win the game, just get it back. I wonder what the defense thinks when the quarterback comes over. It's not a bad thing to do, but from your experience, what is a message like that going to do for the defense?
2: Well, that's uh, it, it can go both ways. If if you haven't already established a trust or a relationship with the defense, and you're coming over saying something like that, the defense is probably like, "Man, shut up! We you had the ball, you just gave it away, you know, I, whatever." And that's that's on bad teams where usually stuff like that happens. But when you when you're a guy like Derek Carr, who's probably gained the trust of everybody in that locker room at this point, everybody respects him as a leader of the team, uh, defense included. I think there sort of is a galvanizing element to statements like that, where it's like. I trust that if I get the ball back to my quarterback, uh, you see quarterbacks like Tom Brady who get this. And even to the extent where defenses will purposely give the ball back to the quarterback, knowing that they're going, like, we're go ahead, scores type of thing, where we let the guy score. Our quarterback's going to come back with, if we leave him enough time, we'll come back. So there's a, a, a sense, I guess, of a defense that can trust their quarterback and, and really fights and goes the extra mile just to get their quarterback extra possessions. Um, especially in the Raiders' case the defense hasn't always been in a position or hasn't always been talented enough to come through in a defensive situation where a stop is needed. So I think for the Raiders' defense, that probably was an inspiring, maybe motivating message to say, you know what, we're an opportunity where we're going to be the ones to save the team this time. It's not going to be in the hands of Derek Carr and the offense and uh, Darren Waller to make some miraculous player or whatever. It's in our hands to make a stand defensively to give our offense a chance to win. They haven't always been in that situation. I mean, the Raiders' defense has stunk for the better part of the decade. So, now that they are able to do it, I think them being challenged in a sense or, or asked to step up in that way is actually a good sign for the Raiders and especially for that defensive unit.
0: Raiders are 7-7, seven and seven, so the Broncos, they meet up on December 26th right after Christmas. Boy, the hopes on the Raiders' side really hinge on, one, Waller coming back, the defense getting a little healthier with – uh, Denzel Perriman, and finding a way these last three games to score some freaking points. Amazingly, Caleb, when we're talking to Caleb Herring, this is the eighth game this year where the Raiders have scored 16 points or less, and when you go back to the beginning of the season when they were going up and down the field, what has changed? Like In the end, is it just something simple like the offensive line is just not that good and it limits you in terms of your playbook and throughout the season?
2: Yeah, and this, this is absolutely the case i think when your offensive line you can't rely on let's say your running game in the red zone situations where you can't say we're going to go get three yards on this run play and and be certain about that i think for the better part of the season the raiders have not been able to do that with their offensive line having issues creating space with jacobs having you know a tough time getting going this season you've had to rely much more on your your efficiency in passing games and it's it's a lot easier to play the style that the raiders play um, in the passing game because you have an efficient underneath passing game um, with limited shots down the field, even though they are um, leading the, the the league, I believe, in, in plays of 20-plus yards. Um, that's in open field, and the, 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 the metrics of the game change when you're down in the red zone, where the windows are tighter, there's not as much space for openings. You can't use guys like Ruggs or now Jackson to stretch the field. Everything's more compact, so the passing game suffers, So you have to be able to establish the run and be able to say, I'm going to get five yards on the ground or at least have the threat of that. Um, And it's important in the red zone to be able to do that. If teams don't respect that, they're going to tighten up on windows. They're going to double cover Waller because that's all you're going to throw to down there. And and you're going to have a hard time getting into the end zone. So I think the imbalance sometimes comes back to hurt hurt, uh, the Raiders. And that has a lot to do with the offensive line not being able to create holes in the ground game. Um, And that's why you see a lot of teams that are successful in the red zone have really good ground games. That's a running back steal a lot of touchdowns from receivers. You know, receivers get you down to the goal line, but running backs have to punch it in and the ground game has to punch it in. If the Raiders aren't able to do that, then their red zone numbers will suffer and, and their overall point totals also will suffer. Yeah.
0: And you saw that yesterday, how effective Nick Chubb was uh, in the Renzo, a red zone as everyone else was getting tired. He looked super fresh. Uh, some college football notes. Following the transfer portal, really interesting with all the quarterbacks. So right now, It looks like Dylan Gabriel to UCLA, Bo Nix to Oregon, Spencer Rattler to South Carolina, Quinn Ewers to Texas, Charlie Brewer, remember him? He just quit on Utah a couple games into the season. He has landed at Liberty. Michael Penix to Washington to go play with for Kalen DeBoer, who coached him at Indiana. Interesting one uh, with a couple – or two interesting moves here with a couple of local ties. Adrian Martinez from Fresno decided to stay at Power 5, go to Kansas State – And the one that I found fascinating is uh, Cordero from Hawaii goes to San Jose State. They also add Elijah Cooks, if he can stay healthy, big receiver from Reno, he can be awesome. Justin Lockhart also to San Jose. So San Jose makes some early waves in the conference with the transfer portal.
2: Yeah, I think that is interesting. Anybody that's going not only, you know, to a different school, but to a school within the conference, because there's a familiarity there. I think, uh, you, you, you played the team obviously that you're transferring to you have some some similarities maybe some differences with the program um, but it, it it's always interesting it, with coaches we saw that earlier with 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 you know, in Colorado State with that situation where coaching in the same conference that's got to be kind of awkward um, and now as a player you're gonna now go back and eventually play some of the guys you left and abandoned so that that maybe adds some heat to that transfer which is like part of the you know the intangible element. But then you look at Cordero specifically, what does he bring to that San Jose State offense? maybe? And I, I don't know if I've seen enough of Cordero. I know you know Hawaii and UNLV got together this year, but um, I don't know if I've seen enough for Cordero to say that he's an, an improvement to San Jose State's situation. Um, I, I don't know that that's the easy fix for them. Obviously, it's depth on the receiver or depth in the quarterback room for, for the Spartans, but does he have the tool set to make the Spartans what they were when they won the conference two years ago? I don't know necessarily that Cordero show me that. He has a long way to go, maybe. Um, maybe there's something that Hawaii was doing that was holding him back, thus he transfers. So we'll see how that unfolds. I, I'm honestly interested in the Knicks to Oregon trade. Or trade. The trade. The that's Knicks what it to is. Oregon yeah. trade. <laughs> in a lot of ways, yeah. That's <laughs> what it is, right? He, he goes to Oregon. I, I think if you watch Oregon down the stretch, they were a quarterback away from maybe being in, a, in the top four this year. Um, and that's, you know, obviously it comes down to that sometimes. But with them losing their head coach as well, does Nick's coming do enough to fix that organ situation? I don't know, but that's the transfer portal is really blowing up and it's becoming this kind of beast that we're not sure how to handle it. We're not sure how to attack it necessarily yet, especially from a program standpoint, but it's changing the landscape of college football in a lot of different ways. We'll see how much of a positive net impact that is, but it's cool to watch these, these narratives shift with the transfers and, the coaching changes that go along with
0: them. I think the Rebels are up to uh, 13 commits unofficially. They could take upwards of 32 because uh, they have over seven in uh, the transfer portal who are going to be leaving the program. We know Jacoby Winman, the most high-profile guy. He went to Michigan State. Um, They seem to have concentrated on a couple of positions. We'll start with receiver. They offered Melquan Stovall and also Torrey Horton, from Reno, uh, that got the Reno fans all fired up, and they wound up landing with Jay Norvell at Colorado State. To this point, they've landed Randy Masters, uh, their highest-rated recruit out of Houston. Uh, he's a true freshman. They've landed a JUCO and Jeff Weimer, who sounds like a freaking you know catch machine, and he had 17 touchdowns at JUCO for uh, City College of San Francisco. And they just added a little-known 6'2 receiver, which is all of this is kind of interesting, Caleb, because their receiving core expected back. Kyle Williams, young guy, right? Uh, Zyle Griffin, right. younger guy. Steve Jenkins with a couple of years left. Maybe Tylee Collins, maybe. Uh, also, they were very high on uh, Nahi, Mendiola Jensen. So they seem to be five or six deep. The problem was everyone got hurt at different points during the season. So I guess from a recruiting standpoint, you're going to make that wide receiver room very competitive and everyone better be concentrating on top fitness goals to make sure they can, the returnees
2: can stay healthy. Yeah. Uh, that's, I think that was one of the main concerns. You realize you don't necessarily have the depth at the position. I mean, Kyle was in and out of the lineup battling injuries all season long, and he's the number one guy, right? And Steve Jenkins, I think, was the most consistent as far as being in the lineup and available, but even he had his spells of injuries. And I think even more importantly with the receiving group, there was an inconsistency as far as catching passes. And that's there was a lot of games where you looked at, you know, the quarterback play was was questionable, obviously, with, with Cameron Friel being a freshman and and Brumfield going there. Brumfield going through his own injuries as well. Um, those those kind of things hurt the passing game. But there was a lot of times where it was just plain drops by the receivers. And I think going after especially the JUCO transfer um, is a a sense or an effort to try to get a more sure-handed target out there for your receivers. A guy that's older, stronger, um, bigger in some senses than a lot of the guys that are already currently on the roster. But like you said, a catch machine who's more sure-handed. At least is what we've seen from him on tape. Um, he's more sure-handed um and that's something that i think the receiving core needs as along with that veteran leadership to to be able to kind of steer the ship right when there's turmoil when there's injuries when there's inconsistency in that receiver group and i think you saw a lot during the season the rebels trying to go empty formation a lot um, with four wide receivers five wide receiver sets they tried to incorporate that a lot in their offensive scheme and they're going to have to incorporate it even more with charles Wins being gone the passing game is going to be relied upon way more than it was last year because you don't have the Chuck Wagon as a stable force back there to just hand it off and bail you out of some situations. So I think this might be coinciding with some changes that the offense is going to be going through in the offseason, minus Chuck Williams, as well as just adding some some depth to that wide receiver room. I think
0: you nailed it. Uh, until we see an experienced running back come out of the transfer portal for UNLV, and I think they'll grab one um i just don't know if they can run you know anything close to what they ran last year and people are going to find out how heavily they leaned on charles williams i mean it was an a, an amazing amount of big plays that he delivered and you know late in games uh, the transfer portal is very fascinating for unlv cuz you know they're not i don't think they're going to land a ton of guys right now while things are hot and heavy out of power 5 but marcus arroyo did make a point that he's very fired up that they can keep an eye on the situation all the way through basically april and I still have a feeling they're going to wind up bringing in six, seven, eight from the transfer portal. But here's the thing around college football. When guys come in, right, I'm sure there's a lot of programs, you know, when other transfers are coming in, there's a lot of programs who are like, eh, hint, hint, you may want to move on. So there, there's still going to be a ton of players going into the portal into January and February. And And by the way, I think the Rebels are at 9 right now. We just mentioned the receiver room. Doesn't mean all those receivers are going to stay around.
2: Right, absolutely, and I think this is the patience of a program in the position where UNLV is is, is critical here. And it, you need to look no further than Jacoby Windman, right? I mean, he's a guy that was not recruited out of high school, who got passed up on by a lot of different teams who didn't see much in him, um, and he lands at UNLV and becomes you know the the leading defensive player on the roster. Um, can you find more Jacoby Windmans out there? Can you find guys who late in the recruiting process, who like you said, after February, after the signing day? Or, or even as college transfers who are reading the writing on the wall kind of say, well, maybe now in April, this isn't for me. And I got to go somewhere else. You know, we can make a killing in that market. And that's the market that the transfer portal essentially creates where the guys that get left out in the cold, who maybe are talented, who maybe could be difference makers for UNOV, who just get passed up on by other programs and are left there, whether for the transfer portal or just missed out in high school recruiting for UNOV to take and. Like I said, Jacoby Women's a prime example of that now he's, you know, he's left. <laughs> he's gone on to power five, uh, top 25 ranked Michigan state, right? He's going to be a linebacker there, whether he plays or starts or not is yet to be determined. But the fact that he went from being overlooked to now landing at Michigan state in a couple of years um, shows you what kind of talent, you know, we could find in this situation. So they've got to scour, uncover, uncover every rock, look under every bush, rock and crevice to find their guys. and And that's what, the task for Marcus Arroyo will be the focus has to continue. Recruiting can't stop um, after signing day. It has to continue to, to see if there's anybody who falls or makes a way into the transfer portal to help bolster the roster. And I, I think Arroyo is aware of that, and I think he's going to make a killing in the market.
0: Yeah, I, I love the portal. I think it's so great for kids like Windman. Um, you know, you'd love him to stay at UNLV the whole time, but, you know, he has a hunger to go play at the highest level. A guy was overlooked. And you get guys who may be at Power 5 who they feel like they're overlooked. You drop down a level – you actually get to play. Um, I think it's really cool, and, and I also think it requires coaches. It's a lot more work now, but your staff is going to be recruiting all the time. Um, but management of your own roster, I think for a lot of coaches, it's time to actually be a mature adult and leaning on the old methods of, hey, I've got you here. I can do anything I want to you, scream, yell, you know, be demeaning. That stuff goes out the window. You want to be like that? There's going to be a lot of kids who are like, yeah, this is 2021. Uh, I don't want to be motivated like that. And for everyone listening right now, like I'm not a young guy. uh, You try to grow over the years, and if you can't grow as a coach, tough Krabsky, right? I mean, it's a it's a new game now. Mature and evolve.
2: Yeah, and that's you look at it across every sport. As a coach, as a manager, as a GM, whatever you want to say, you have to have an ability to adapt to the situation. This goes for players too. You have to be able to adapt what you planned or what you thought that the game was, you know, 10, 15 years ago, it's not that anymore. Right. And you look at, you know, the analytics of the game, which people cringe at the thought of that, but the analytics of the game, if you're throwing the ball to the post uh, 20 times a game in the NBA at this point, um, absent (laughs) having Joel, Joel Embiid on your roster, you're not going to win very many games, right? Right. Like you're not, the, the game has shifted. And if you're still one of those coaches that thinks you can, just yell at your players, uh, cuss them out, disrespect them and like, kick them. (laughs) Let's see. You you can kick players still, right? Like you can't do those kinds of things anymore and expect players to want to be involved in your program, especially if they have the choice to transfer out. And I think that's one of the, the beautiful things about the transfer portal is it, it initiates a system of checks and balances for coaches where what you do can't just get swept under the rug. Um, there's going to be consequences, immediate consequences for what you do. Players aren't trapped to a four year contract, essentially, with your program, they can up and leave if you're not satisfying their needs or or helping them out. Uh, I think players maybe pull the trigger a little too soon. That criticism is justified, but uh, it, I think more so it helps to keep coaches and programs on their p's and q's as far as what they're doing to help these players out.
0: Caleb's nice enough to join us during the holidays. Happy holidays to Caleb and his family. Uh, you are amongst a bunch of brothers and sisters. Uh, two brothers, two sisters. Um, I saw you holding court. I'll call it that. The other day, we were at the Learfield holiday party. This guy was running roughshod with the comedy around the table. That was great. Are you, are you kind of, the, and I'm, I'm going to include your sisters too, are you like the alpha of your brothers and sisters? Do you kind of fade in? Because like it, it probably gets loud, and everyone's kind of got that pecking order when the family gets together.
2: Yeah, you know, I'm the boisterous one. I'm the one who, who's, who's going to talk it up the most. I think me and my younger brother actually are the ringleaders when it comes to that. Um, not necessarily the alpha, I wouldn't say like that, but I, my older brother definitely he has a quiet presence about him. But when he's there, it's it's just like it, we've said before that family gatherings are incomplete when my older brother's not there. But he doesn't bring the life necessarily, right? Like I, I definitely <laughs> have a, a different presence about me. I try to command the room a little bit more. There's sometimes probably a little bit annoying to the family, but that's a, that's how I roll. That's how I operate. I'm I'm comfortable in that role and as the starting five, that's what we've been called, the, the five of us, the siblings. <laughs> um with my dad as a coach, we we've, we've been that's my role on the team. I'm I'm a guy who gets out in front and and kinda leads the charge with my mouth. So uh <laughs> that's uh that's that's the role, that's where I fit and I'm proud of it. I take the mantle up and around the holidays especially. I think we're getting a game night going tonight, so uh, monopoly is going to be you know the tradition we, we're going to get around a monopoly board and, and talk some mess and i'm going to be leading the way with that too hopefully coming out with a win so <laughs> it's fun it's a fun time here i love getting back together we don't do it as much as we we used to obviously we we got kids in our own lives in our different places but it's fun when we all get back together
1: that's cool
0: man enjoy it caleb thank you all
2: right guys happy holidays to co and company we'll see you guys later
0: there he is, Caleb Herring, our football insider. Giveaway time, call our 6 and seven three six four eleven hundred three six four one one zero zero 364-1100, 364-1100. VIP treatment. You get a table, free entry for you and your friends, and you get a bucket. It's all a Crazy Horse 3 Gentlemen's Club, the home of the best post-game party following the LVR games. It's the closest place to party right there near the stadium. Uh, it's one of the top gentlemen's clubs in all of Las Vegas, and it's certainly the best uh, right there near the stadium. 364-1100, 364-1100 is a number. Call six and seven. They've got a full kitchen. They've got happy hour drink specials. That's amazing at a gentleman's club. They're going to have uh, all the football up on the big screens around the joint, and we'll be partying with Fox Sports Radio and Greg Salerno over at Crazy Horse 3 gentlemen's Club 4 o'clock on, so make sure if you don't get the VIP treatment here, you come in, you show your Raiders ticket, you're in for free. But giveaway time right now. Caller 6 and 7, Crazy Horse 3, Gentlemen's Club, the after party following the big Raiders-Broncos game. Three six four one 6, one, zero, zero. 2.30 to go in overtime. Here's Dobson closing it on goal. Out in front, cut off.
3: Theodore then gives it away again. Centering try, broken up, gloved out of the air by Leonard. Vegas has it once more, and out they go. On Christmas Eve, look in the sky. you see a little red light that's going to catch your eye. It's going to shine. It's going to glow. It's going to let the whole world know. Oh, yeah. Rudolph. the red nose Reindeer. Rudolph. Rudolph and Paul Anka bringing us back. And, of course, prior to that, a little... Golden Knights action. Willie Ramirez coming to you live from the T-Mobile Arena. We are, well, a couple hours, two and a half hours before puck drop. Tampa Bay Lightning are in town. The two-time defending Stanley Cup champs in town to face the Vegas Golden Knights. It's the only hockey game on the schedule. And then winter break is going to start early, Ari. The NHL has decided that they are going to start the winter break early, because there wasn't that many games that was going to be missed anyway. They they always take the few days off so the families could be together, right, Christmas Eve, a couple days after, and then they come back. So they just went ahead with COVID running rampant. Um, they had decided to go ahead and shut it down a couple days early. So there was another game that was scheduled. That got shut down, and instead, really, it's, it's a matchup tonight between two teams that, a lot of people expected to be in the Stanley Cup final the last two years. Everyone expected these two to meet in the bubble. Every a lot of team a lot of uh, people thought that these two were going to meet. Last year, Tampa Bay did their part. Vegas did not. So I have to wonder how you know how much Vegas really wants this thinks about this game, wants this game because of the fact that well, they were somewhat expected to be there and of course they expected themselves to be there as well. So, um, but you know, I was in a great mood getting ready today to come down here, and I don't know i just uh I'm a little cranky a little fired up
0: did i did I do something wrong, Willie? I mean, all I do is screw things up with the host, so did did I somehow get you uh cranky
3: no, you know it's it's funny that you mention that because usually, yeah. Usually, usually you find a way to just get under someone's skin. Not really mine, but let me tell you something. So, I got on the Bluetooth, called Verizon. Oh, I'm not supposed to say that, right? Well, that's my carrier. But I called my carrier. I just here's the thing: they take good care of me, and they're phenomenal in their customer service. Once you can get them on the phone, it's this is not just them; it's any. Anybody these days you call and you you go through the process of punching the buttons press one press this then you press that now their menu has changed and you got I went through several different um, times to to get to where I wanted to be and then they they usher me to finally get to a customer service representative to tell me that he can't help me but here's a sales number if you want to contact them so I get parked, I call that number, and after I go through the punching buttons of the service, it reroutes me out of sales and back into customer care, and I end up back to square one. It was about a 28-minute process. where it, And then here's the great part. The second time I got through, the young lady who talked to me, she said, hold on a second, let me see if I can help you. Within four seconds, a sales rep got on the phone and goes, "This is sales. I was like, now why didn't that just happen the very first time?
0: That just made me cranky, to be honest.
3: Yeah, I, I don't I don't understand these uh the 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 call care centers these days. But anyway, once again we are what two and a half hours before puck drop. Tampa Bay at Vegas. Cofield and Com- Company. Hey, don't forget tomorrow, by the way, Festivus. So get your grievances ready. We are back.
0: This Wednesday is your day to air your grievances. It's your favorite show of the year on Cofield and Company
2: Festivus. Yeah, I noticed star guys start yelling and stuff, so um, that that was real fun and um, you know good to celebrate a, a big
1: win here on the road. Now back to Coalfield and Company in the Finley Toyota studio. Studio. studio.
0: Deck the halls with boughs of holly, fa la 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 Tis the season to be jolly, fa la 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 la. we now our gay apparel, fa la 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 la. Told the ancient Utah Carol rolling on Cofield and company Cofield Willie Ramirez looky here looky here right we hit on this uh, throughout our conversations with Caleb herring and Adam Hill looky here Willie Ramirez it wasn't easy yesterday for the Raiders. We went right up to the final seconds while we were hanging out at Twin Peaks. We didn't get the uh, game-winning field goal on the air. The Raiders, it ain't been pretty, my friend. It ain't been pretty, but they're still in the playoff hunt. They are still in it, baby.
3: They are. I, and, you know, never in doubt. You and I both had them in the the playoff hunt. <laughs> no. I mean, in the beginning, we had them make yeah, we, him had
0: the, him, we had them going ten and seven, or at least I did, um, hanging on by a thread.
3: I don't remember if I predicted a record, but I had them getting the final wild card bid. And here they are few game, uh with three games left, and they are still alive in the playoff hunt. With yes, a very ugly win, but a win is a win, and you got to take it with however you can get it, and uh, that's what they did yesterday. And, you know, I will have to say that the Raiders did their part in a very tough situation and played the Browns tough. I mean, they essentially almost gave the game away, a game in which, you know, they were winning, and, and Cleveland had to – they are the ones that had to scrap, scratch and claw, and then the Raiders put – Fourth quarter comeback captain, Derek Carr on the field and he drove him down and the four million dollar man, Derek Daniel Carlson come in and boom, there you have it.
0: So right now the Raiders sit in the 10 hole in the AFC. What do you think of the pecking order around the National Football League with the Raiders? I was looking at PFT's rankings. So many teams sitting at seven and seven and six and seven. Obviously, we got some games going on right now. Vikings are the fifteenth-rated team at seven and seven. Dolphins sixteenth. These are just ratings rankings. Browns wait, okay. Well, the Browns were beat up yesterday, obviously from COVID. Browns seventeen. Steelers seven six and one or eighteen. Saints are nineteen. Broncos are twenty. Eagles are twenty-one. Where are the Raiders? Uh, Twenty-two is Washington. Twenty-three the Falcons. Has anyone looked at the Falcons schedule? There's six wins. Raiders are rated the worst of the 7 and 7 teams in the National Football League at number 24 overall. Do you buy that?
3: Um I'm looking it's it's I I don't know I could make an argument as to why the Raiders are better than several of these teams. Um I'm just guessing it has to be because of the the slide that it went on. I mean it lost Some very ugly games. But some of these teams haven't proven that they're any that much better. I mean, Washington improved. You know, you see them a couple of spots ahead, and they were on a nice run. They played tonight right? Against Philadelphia. They're playing right now.
0: Football team up 10, nothing. They're playing up on on Philadelphia
3: right now. Two two
0: minutes, 10, nothing. Washington on top of Philly.
3: We've seen that defense improve. They, they have been winning down the stretch. The Raiders have been losing down the stretch. You know, why are the Eagles three spots ahead of the Raiders, which spanked the Eagles? I think it has, they're, they're looking at the current, where they're at right now, what they've been doing. Right. Um, If you were to throw these teams in a pool and say, okay, who's going to beat who, who's going to lose who, I don't think that the Raiders are losing to every single team that's on this list.
1: The big day is this Wednesday. Cofield and Company's Festivus on
0: ESPN Las Vegas. Coalfield and Company's eye on sports betting,
2: betting. with
0: Sammy P.
3: Sammy
2: P.
0: Well, from what I hear, uh, Sammy is loading up on the spiked eggnog. Uh, I don't know if he has the football team betting into COVID in the NFL can be a nightmare. It's a roller coaster ride. Sam, how you doing, buddy?
1: Doing good, man. I was actually looking at playoff odds on a couple teams, including the Las Vegas Raiders to make the NFL playoffs. I can give you, let's see the best number in the market right now. You can get 8 to 1 at MGM on the Raiders to make the playoffs.
0: Oh, is that right? I was looking for yes no earlier. I think William Hill pulled it down for the games today cuz uh, I'm definitely in on yes no and anytime anytime you got a 7 and 7 team, I'll roll the dice That some wacky stuff. Can happen and now the variants with the variant because of COVID, like nothing's really set in the AFC West. The Chiefs could be a disaster down
1: the stretch and the same thing with the Chargers. I think you have to look at the teams ahead of them in the standings. So Buffalo's on the seven line. Buffalo's been awful their last six weeks. I believe, as I pulled their schedule up, two and four in the last six games. And woohoo, they beat the Panthers and they beat the Saints with, like, nobody on the field. They didn't have Camara, didn't have Mark Ingram. Michael Thomas has been out of the way. I think Trevor Simeon started in that game. So we don't really count that game. But in the standings right now, Buffalo's the seven, Baltimore's the eight, And then Pittsburgh's the nine. So it's not that I really – it's not that I love the Raiders, but I don't love any of the teams ahead of them. And and here's the other bet to think about. Buffalo to miss the playoffs. FanDuel right now has plus 450 on Buffalo to miss the playoffs. It's not impossible, buddy.
0: So what do you make of the Eagles' lines going crazy before this game against football team? I already bet ahead Giants plus 10, which is dangerous. You know, Danny Dimes is out for the year, but – uh, again, the Eagles got as high as 10 on this one. It was six and a half, seven, and right now they trail.
1: It's ugly football. I actually haven't watched a single snap. I, I've been following the score um, on my screen, you know, 10 nothing Washington and then 3 nothing LA Rams, which, by the way, how the hell did the NFL put these games on at the same exact time? Yep. <laughs> like, how? And then I'm out here in Boston. I can only watch one of the two because they're both on Fox. They didn't put one on the NFL network or give one to a different network. That – makes absolutely no sense. The gambling handle, as you know, would have doubled if we would have bet these games back-to-back. But I didn't make any positions. I thought about under. I was going to go under 41 in Washington, Philly. But I didn't make any moves tonight. You're talking about the game next week. You took 10 with the Giants, yes? Yes, I already bet.
0: I saw um, once the COVID stuff started coming down this week, I bet three different dogs getting at least 10 points. So I took the Steelers against the Chiefs, and now Tyreek Hill. Is on the COVID list. I figure I roll the dice on that one. I think the Eagles numbers were inflated tonight and next week. So uh, I'm going to roll the dice and and see what happens with some of the big dogs because big dogs did pretty well this last weekend.
1: They certainly did. You know, that stuff is cyclical, though. I don't have to explain that to you. I'll tell you what. The only problem is (laughs) what if the Giants are like, oh, hey, our entire offensive line has COVID. And then, you know, you're thinking you're going to get a good number of 10, and then all of a sudden that number's 13. It could backfire. My worst fear of going on all these shows now, and I do your show on Tuesday. It's one of the earliest shows. But a lot of the shows I do later in the week, they've moved me up because of Christmas, and nobody's doing shows Thursday, Friday. I am being asked on Tuesday during a COVID (laughs) breakout, Right, right. Hey, uh, uh, who do you like Sunday? I'm like, I have no idea. I have no idea. Yeah. Sam, so,
3: let me ask. You, let's go back for a minute. So you talk about that, right? And you're looking, you're trying to look ahead, but you're trying to be cautious. You're looking at these COVID lists. Yesterday, you have a Cleveland team that is just decimated with a COVID list down to their third string. Today, the Washington football team. Yet the opposition, or the 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 teams that are ravaged with the third string our child. you know washington's up cleveland makes that comeback i mean they end up losing but is it an indictment an indictment on the team that's playing the team that's ravaged by covid or is does it say something that hey they're coming out and fighting with whatever resources they have with whatever you know players they have left brought up from the practice squad whatever they can muster together
1: I think, Willie, what we're learning is that the drop-off isn't as big as many perceive it to be between average players. You know, if Mahomes has COVID and we have to go to his backup, all right, that's a justified five and a half, six-point drop, if not more. But if, you know, if the starting quarterback for Washington, Tyler Heineke, is out and then his backup is out and we go to the third string, it's really not a big drop-off. I think that's really what I'm learning from this. And okay, like the the left guard on the football team, is it really that big of a drop-off to the backup guard? I mean, the football team, six and seven, they're not a great football team by any means. So unless it's a all-pro player or a Pro Bowl caliber player that tests positive, and then we go to a guy who's a total bum off the street, that's probably the biggest gap in you know starter to back up but i think what i'm learning over these last 10 days or so is that we've overreacted as a country as a sportsbook <laughs> as industry a country, to yeah i mean like I, well that's a different I adam mean, hills i mean we can jag- have that
0: conversation the right uh, the jaguar spot going up to six because urban meyer got fired was just as dumb a thing as i've seen in a long time
1: yeah and it's like okay you know 18 players have covid but we never we never do the homework to go all right well which 18 players is it you know like the the whole uh, football team thing well you know 80 million players have covid well how many are starters well it was 9 but then five of them got double negative so now it's only four starters and yet the line today is still 10 10 and a half so i think long story short long answer short is that we are overreacting to how big the drop-off is between average players and their very average backups.
0: Give me a feel for betting the Bears the rest of the way.
1: <laughs> I'd rather drink bleach than bet on that team, man. <laughs> they stink. They stink. Why would you, why I'm not would saying, you bet saying I'm them? saying
0: betting Bears games in general, so that's your strong take is even this week coming up, Seattle 7, screw it. Bet the Seahawks.
1: I don't know that I'd go that far. I okay. think Rob Meach has... <laughs> Rob Meech has pointed this out. He's a Vegas guy, lives in Vegas, writes for the Sun-Times. He's been talking about the Chicago Bears' first half under for the last eight weeks. It hit again. So at halftime, Minnesota was up 10-3. to I believe – I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but since Matt Nagy has been the head coach of the Chicago Bears, the first half under is hitting around 70% because they don't show you anything. They don't have an offensive line – Their defense is still respectable, and the Bears offense has no playmakers. Not to mention, if it's fourth and one at the 10-yard line, Matt is going to kick a field goal because he's Mr. Field Goal. So until further notice, that is the way to bet the Bears games first half under. That's been statistically proven to be the best way over the last handful of seasons under Matt Nagy.
0: How are people going to bet the Patriots? It's one and a half, two against Buffalo.
1: I tease it up, man. And by the way, shout out to uh, Naked City Pizza. Chris just texted me. He goes, "Oh, you hate the Bills now, huh?" I'm like, "No, Chris. I just said I think <laughs> Buffalo at plus four fifty is is not a bad bet. I'm not I'm not saying the Bills are going to miss the playoffs. I just think that's that's interesting. Here's what I would do this weekend, though. I would tease Buffalo up, and here's why. They just saw this attack. And, and is Bill really going to do this? All right, we're going to pass the ball three times again. I, I don't believe that. Buffalo was a throw or two away from winning that football game. So the best way to bet this game, if you're a teaser player, six-point teaser, take Buffalo from plus two and a half, go through the three, six, seven, eight. Take Buffalo from plus two and a half to plus eight and a half. They're going to keep this one close. And now the pressure's on New England. Rookie quarterback, uh, you know, all the talk in New England a month ago is we're going to the Super Bowl. A rookie quarterback, forget winning the Super Bowl, A rookie quarterback has never played in a Super Bowl, and now the pressure gets on a kid, Mac Jones. This is a very, very tough spot, and Buffalo, with revenge on the mind, they're definitely, I think, going to keep this within eight and a half.
3: Sammy P, two straight losses. They've allowed 30 points in both games and just lost to the Detroit Lions. Have the Cardinals been exposed?
1: Yes, they have. I, I said before the season, I didn't think Cliff Kingsbury was anything special, and I thought they sort of—they showed you the whole deck, Willie. They showed you their best cards in week five, week six. Like this is a marathon; it's not a sprint, and you have to keep some of this stuff under wraps. You have to, you know, keep your best plays and your best drives. You can't be showing this stuff weeks four, five, and six. I hate when teams come out of the shoot and go 9-2, 10-2, and, and, and then everybody wants to give them the Super Bowl trophy, and then second half of the season, injuries kick in, regression kicks in, and then everything they do well is on film. I don't like Arizona to make a deep run by any means, and here's here's the number of the day, Stephen Willie. Did you see the number on Kansas City to win the division? Holy crap. We talked about this on this show a month ago. I think the Chiefs were plus 180 to win the AFC West. They are minus 2,000 at points bet, wow. and they are minus 3,500 at MGM. You always, always yep. want to bet the right team at the right price. That's
0: why you got to you gotta track it, and uh, you're right. I was just looking the other day. I have them at plus 105, and I have them at plus 190. Uh, wish I had bet more, right? Famous last word. Minus
1: 3,500.
0: Yep. Little value now, little value. But who knows? Down the stretch, like I said, Kelsey, And Tyreek Hill and some other key players are dealing with COVID. And uh, as we mentioned earlier, over 140 players now around the NFL. So we'll see if they get cleared sooner than later with the new rules. Sam, we appreciate it. We're not going to talk to you before Christmas, so have a good holiday.
1: Merry Christmas. I'm going to finish this Death Cup of Eggnog, and I will talk to you boys in 2022. Happy holidays, everybody! Stick around. Cofield & Company returns in minutes in the
3: Finley Toyota Studios.